It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. I'm your host, Kyle. With me, as always, my co-host, Daniel and Matt. Hey. Hey, guys. Wow, Daniel. Usually you go, hello. I I wanted to see what Matt would do. Look, and he was ready to go. I was ready to go, baby. Usually when we do these intros, if one of us is off, it throws the entire thing off. But I'm proud of you, Matt, for not being the weak link this time. Oh, never, Kyle. Never. Got to mix it up every now and then. Throw him a curveball. So what did you guys think about... Lake Tahoe this weekend. It was a beautiful, idyllic setting to play hockey, unless you like too much sun. Well, let me tell you, it looked like a little bit of Tennessee over there, because, you know, we got six inches of snow this week, so you could play ice hockey anywhere in Tennessee. It was it was crazy, but the, the lake game was so beautiful. Um, the backdrops were absolutely stunning. Uh, I think last night, Pasta scored that first goal, and it was just like the backdrop between that one and I think it was McAvoy's goal was so pretty. I mean, the water's just moving in the background. It's crystal clear, lake water. I mean, ugh, absolutely gorgeous. Loved watching to see those games outside. Uh, it was a good substitute for not having a Winter Classic this year. I mean, obviously, no fans, but hey, it looked stunning. Yeah, apparently they set up. One of the players thought they were playing on the lake itself. I think he was a foreigner and didn't know that it's no, it's not on the lake. It's just kind of on the shore. It's apparently near the golf course. It's like on the 18th hole of the golf course. That's where Joe Sackick a couple years ago hit a hole in one for charity. I think they won like a million dollars for whatever charity it was. So this year, I think it was Nate McKinnon got out there and tried to replicate the success and, uh, Got one chance to try to make a hole-in-one, and he kind of uh, flubbed it. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't his best effort, let's say. So far from a hole-in-one, but uh, so that's all right. It, it was very pretty, and you could see some fans were out uh, in their kayaks and stuff doing a couple, uh, what do you call it, when you jump in the jump in the water, polar plunge? Yeah, kind of like that. Like they a were, polar dip, I believe it is. Okay, yeah, they were, fans were going crazy. They were jumping out in the lake. and uh, I saw a Red Wings flag on yeah, a jet ski. That yeah, was hilarious. I, I was oh, like, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> we repping, we repping. That's right. I think one of my favorite things of this outside of the players themselves was how they incorporated Gritty into this. I mean, that dude was everywhere. Like, you saw a little bit of Blades, and you would see a little bit of the, uh, you didn't see any of the Avs mascot or Chance, the Vegas mascot, but you saw Gritty everywhere. He was snowboarding. He was peeking out from behind trees with those little beady eyes. I mean, he he was doing the most, for sure. That's like nightmare fuel right there. You look over and you get these little googly eyes just peering in the dark from behind a tree. Yeah, I know Gritty still, uh, she was mentioning it to me. I guess it was during the game. She's like, man, that guy freaks me out. Get him out of here. I'm like, yeah, he is He is a little freaky. I guess He's it, controversial. Yeah. Okay. We yeah. get it. It's it's a, it's a perfect Philly mascot. That, that's true. It matches the scenery in Philly. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, who's that guy from NBC that everybody hated? He brings up the ratings because people are talking about him. Milbury. So, Milbury. Mike Milbury. <laughs> like, literally all at once. It's Milbury. like the same uh, same kind of situation. Love to hate him or hate to love him. It's all right. It's good yep. for the game. Yeah, well, the first game featured Vegas and the Avalanche, which, boy, that's some two heavy hitters in that division, let me tell you. Oh. I mean, those are my two favorites. Like, yeah. probably two of my favorites to win the cup, and they're going at it in this outdoor game. What an incredible game this was. Back and forth action. McKinnon was on fire. I don't know if y'all saw the goal 
that he was shot out of a cannon and basically like snipes the top left corner of the goal. I mean, the fact that he can do that while speeding up to that level uh, like blows my mind. I, I mean, they had no chance. I mean, it, it was it was unreal, but it was a very close game. Uh, definitely more so than the uh, Boston's oh, yeah. uh, and, and Flyers game. Look, the Flyers gave it a good shot, but with so many other people on the COVID protocol, eventually you knew once Bruins took, took control of the game, it was over. Yeah, it, it was 7-3. to three. Pasta, man, whew, he was he cooking. Had a hat trick, wasn't it? Yes, hat trick. One. It was yeah. a hat trick. I mean, here's the deal. When you immediately start 40 seconds in and there's an odd man rush and it's Marshan and Pasta coming at you, that's possible. I mean, that's the, the two worst possibilities for for uh, Hart in that situation. And it's like he kind of respected Marshan, and yeah, then did. you get burnt with Pasta. Well, if you kind of edge over and and you know kind of lean towards Pasta a little bit more, well, Marshan's going to snipe you. So I mean, it, they just came out flying in this game. The Flyers actually were able to keep up through the first, and then the wheels just fell off. I mean, they had like. Three or four goals in what a minute and a half. It was yeah. It was once the momentum started going, it was uh, off the rails uh, fairly quickly after that. Now, what I do like is that the uh, NHL did try to do this because of the fact the outdoor games were canceled. But I think they got a little too much flack for the sun coming out in the middle of the first game. And while I get it, you know, you want to have that picture idyllic setting with the sun back there. You also, I think, do have a little bit of fair criticism that you started the game just a bit early. Bit. It was like 11. Well, the thing was, supposedly, the weather, it was okay to start that time of day, assuming that it wasn't sun shining. Apparently, there was supposed to be cloud cover, and it would have been fine under cloud cover, but since the sun came out, it screwed up the ice. And it, it wasn't just like around the corner, corner boards or anything. It wasn't the center ice. It's all the logos, because it was the darker colors. Yeah. Was They were absorbing the heat more, so... Yeah. So they had, you know, Batman out there and whoever the officials decided to, yeah, all right, we'll, uh, we'll call it off for now. We'll, we'll put the, they put like a little tarp over the ice to help it get back to normal and come back out there that night. 11 PM. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I heard some of the commentators saying, you know, that's, it's kind of fairly like it is in the real world. Cause you, you show up to a game day, you got a game at, you know, puck drop at 6 PM or whatever. And the players show up to the rink in the morning and do a morning skate at like 10 or 11 AM. And then, uh, do a little practice and then come back later for that game. So it was kind of like they did the first period. It was kind of like a warm-up game and uh, <laughs> come back later that evening for the rest of it. I saw someone online also referred it to almost like a taxi squad mentality because like you have to show up ready to play, but you don't know if you are <laughs> because of like all the, you know, everything's in flux. So it's kind of like, I, I like that analogy for it, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it was a large break. I'll put it like that because like 11 p.m. came and I was on the couch over here, and I'm just trying to stay awake for it. And I'm just like, because this was a close game, actually, and it was fun to watch. But, I mean, I was I was struggling. I didn't even try to stay awake for it at all. I was like, nope, I'm getting too old we'll for that. Catch the highlights tomorrow. <laughs> yep. And the other thing that we should talk about real quickly is it looks like the bread man in New York is taking a leave of absence due to what appears to be a political allegation, allegation to something that happened like, I think like nine years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah, I, this is hot off the press today. Uh, I got the notification kind of, we started digging into it. So basically it's like 11 years ago, like there's an allegation from the KHL from a, like a formal coach that there was like some sort of assault charge on an 18 year old woman. And like Breadman is 100% like, I mean, like the verbiage they use in the statement, like he's 100% denying it. 
And there's like some also, there's some other stuff going on where he was very outspoken about being against Putin and all this stuff. So now you got the rush, like, man, it, this is getting really into the weeds as far as like the political side and stuff. And the funny part is they really haven't said what the leave of absence is for. I guess it's to basically focus on clearing up the allegations. So I, who knows if he's going to be going back to Russia for a bit. No. I don't even know if that would be the the best course of action, honestly, no, in this. I, I think he's just going to take some some days off, recoup, and, and come back hopefully firing. Because, I mean, he's one of the league's premier talents, too. Like, you see a headline come like that across, you know, your screen – uh, leave of absence for Panarin. I mean, that's that's some big news, honestly. I'd like to really haven't heard much about it yet. I'd like to know if that was a self-administered uh, leave of absence or if that was kind of like a company policy, you know, how they do, all right, we're going to put you on leave of absence, investigate it, we'll, you know, pay you for your time off or whatever. I'm not really sure yet. I'm going to say it's uh, his own personal because the Rangers issued a statement saying like they're behind him and also okay. they're they're trying to help essentially like clear his name but it is very funny because like as soon as he went against putin it was like <laughs> here here comes the russian mob but yeah. um you know we'll see i mean it, that's one of those things you you hate to see it too especially with someone who's so talented like him um we can just only hope that the allegations are 100 percent not real and on top of it that he can get it cleared really quick so he can get back to playing because you don't want to see somebody yeah. like that sit like and it's such a short season yeah you're going to miss more time than usual so hopefully they get that cleared up uh sooner rather than later and now we'll bring the focus around to a little bit of the home team so this is a preds podcast and the preds have been doing terrible lately guys since the last time we recorded They've played eight games and they've went three, five, and zero, along with both their games in Dallas being postponed. And uh, that's led to a lot of questions in the fan base, a lot of anger. If you remember Pred's Facebook, you pretty much are ready to just burn everything down. Honestly, I don't know where to begin the segment because literally leading up to it, I know in our group text, we'd been going back and forth and we've had some. I mean, absolute zingers of conversation. We could have just recorded our text conversation for the podcast and it probably would have you know, done just fine because I have a feeling there's going to be several rants at this point. Obviously, things are not working right now for the Preds. I mean, like it is, it is taking a nosedive. Like all the stats are backing it up too. Like everything is pointed in the wrong direction. And the real question is, where do we even start at this point? Like, where do we begin? I mean, we, we're getting to the point where we were scraping almost near Red Wing level of points percentage. I know Matt pointed out. <laughs> yeah, Matt's over here. Uh, Matt had so graciously pointed out the other night, points or uh, uh, Chicago was really high up. And I'm like, where's the point percentage, Matt? And, you know, unfortunately, like, they're still lower. And the Preds, I mean, we dipped down to what? It was like point three six eight. I mean, it was it was pretty bad there. Yeah, that win against Columbus win. bumped us up to point four one two. And what's interesting, if you were to rank us by our point percentage, because with the games being postponed due to the COVID protocols and stuff like that, it's not very likely that every team is going to be able to finish out a 56-game season. So you're then going to have to start going to the point percentage to figure out the rankings. Yeah. And so right now, by point percentage, the Preds are ranked 7th. And by a league ranking, they're still ranked 28th overall. Yeah, and looking at the standings right now, the only saving grace that we've had recently is 
the Dallas Stars actually started to falter really bad the last several games. Like they they went on a terrible losing streak as well, and they actually are back down to a point five eight three percentage, uh, which puts them just barely above Chicago and Columbus. So they've stumbled big time. So that's kind of like at least allowing one open kind of playoff spot to be there and present because honestly, Carolina is just off to the races. Who knows about Florida? Can they keep this up? Because like they're shocking me right now. I think they're number one in the central right now. No, they're not. Carolina is. Okay. And they actually are beating them point percentage wise too. Carolina is 12, three and one. Yeah. And Florida is 11, three and two. Yeah, both still great. Yeah, yeah, it, it's absolutely well. And here's the deal: the Lightning have played one less game, but they're right behind them, ten four and one. I mean, it's it, basically you you already see the writing on the wall for the top three, but because the stars have faltered so bad in the last several games, that's basically opened up one slot. You know, essentially, because like honestly, if the stars had been continuing their you know progression of where they started at the beginning of the year, crazy power play, just going off the charts, and they had been winning. I'm sorry, like the Preds, Columbus, and Chicago, you might as well just go hang them up. You know you're not making the playoffs, like right now. Like you're already in sell mode for the trade deadline. You know what I mean? Here's the kind of the thing, though. We, we talk about the star as well. If they're falter, okay, we got a shot, you know, possibly here or there. Well, you can't really count on something that's outside of your control. You can't really count on what Dallas is going to do or not do. You got you to gotta make the changes here at home. And let's throw a couple more stats out there for Nashville. Some of these that I oh, it's bad. It's find bad. really good. So just uh, looking at, at from a league-wide standpoint, the Nashville Predators are 26th or worse in the league in goals against, goals for, points percentage, and penalty kill. Penalty kill is 30th at 68. They have had, as of you know, a couple of days ago when this stat was taken, the Preds have had, on average this year, have held the lead for an average of three minutes per game, as opposed to they have been trailing an average of 34 minutes per game. So they've been trailing 10 times more than they've been leading. Yeah, Columbus was the first game that I thought we had a two-goal lead on. And I'm honestly shocked we kept it. And we actually played it. That was the best game we've played all, like, literally since the first two of the season thus far. Now, is that a building block towards other stuff? Who knows? But at this point, that is such a small sample size, I'm not taking it because like Matt said, we have played behind the eight ball for almost the entire season. I mean, it's it's abysmal too. Like, I think our goal differential too is really bad. Is yeah, We're at minus 17 right now. Yeah. It, it, it's very bad. And, and so that tells me, you know, it's not really about what the other teams in the division are going to do. It's really about fixing the bleeder we got here at, at the home team. There's plenty of things that are going on. We're going to talk about roster moves. Oh, We're going man. to talk about the coaching standpoint, but there's a lot, uh, a lot of meat on the bone to work on here at home. So that brings to the question, Matt, you're saying about coaches. Let's just go ahead and get right into that. Do you think the problem with this team is Coach John Hines or the players, or could it be an issue even further up with GMDP? So this is this is where we're gonna get. Here we go. <laughs> I'll throw it off the bat. I think it is primarily a John Hines thing. I think he wasn't that great to begin with. I wasn't fired up on him coming to Nashville to begin with. He got fired from New Jersey, and that kind of tells me if you're getting fired from New Jersey, like why would I want the table scraps from that from that organization? He's never been above five hundred, by the way. Yeah. 
So, and you couple that with, you know, the roster decisions, we're going to talk about who he's uh, benching, how I have a real problem with. So I've always said, it's okay to uh, be bad if you have a plan. Like Detroit obviously is bad, but the plan is, okay, we're, we're trading our assets for futures and we're developing, we're getting picks. That's a plan. But the Nashville seems to, the plan is, okay, we're doing this, but they don't even stick to their own plan. And that's kind of the problem that you're seeing some discrepancies from a, uh, I guess from a, what Coach Hines is doing standpoint to compare to kind of the message they've been sending the last year or two in the league. It's just, I don't know. First of all, the system has literally looked horrible. Let, let, let's just say, just looking at the eye, let's not get X and O's and you know get the whiteboard out and get lost in the weeds. You can just look at the system right now that he has in place and does it look fun? Does it look exciting? Is First of all, are quality shots being generated? Let me just park the anchor on that for a minute. We're literally like, what, the last in the league 30, on 31st. 31st in quality shots, okay? Like, I didn't even have to look that up. Like, I knew Matt was going to have it, and guess what? We're 31st. Because looking at the system, it, you're not getting any of those quality. Like, I, I, I'm looking at the flyer system last night. They're, man, passing towards the slot. It's very, like, even though they still lost that game, they're still generating, you know, expected goals in the stats world. But the thing that blows my mind is like we get caught too. like I feel like our defense this year has gotten caught so many times like in no man's land. Like either it's an odd man rush on the way back or we're not pressuring when they get in the zone. Like other teams are really hard on the four check and also pressuring once you gain the zone. We kind of tend to back off and it's like it's like what do we do? Literally, we'll just want to shot block the entire time. I I don't think so. Well, maybe it is. In fact, some of how John Systems operates. So when we were under uh, Coach Laviette, he was really big about having the uh, offensive defenseman have the defenseman get up there, join the attack, and we saw that it brought Nashville level of success. And then you get the John Hines, and I think part of the reason is that the system he is basically trying to teach our players is, uh, to me, almost a complete. 180 from how they were going. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I, and I it, agree to your point, Kyle. You spend, you know, more than five years developing a roster to fit a particular system and a brand of hockey that you want to put on the ice under Laviolette system. And then you bring in a new system and you wonder why these players aren't meshing in that system very well. I mean, you can maybe, John Hines can shoehorn a new system and a new play style to these players, but they have already been tooled for, for a different system. And you wonder why it's not fitting exactly. I mean, back to our point, though, I do think there's like, like when you said, is it Hines? Is it the players? Is it GMDP? Honestly, it's all three to blame at this point. And we, we can, we'll talk a little bit more about each one individually. But for the players, too, also, I don't want to let the players all off the hook because there's still a ton of players that were on Lobby System, but there's also a ton of new players sure. that weren't under Lobby System, and they're still not doing anything. You see what I mean? Like, well, and so and to your like, point, a, a great player is going to be a great player. He's going to find a way to score and go hard in the net and all that. Yeah, and, and that's the funny part is, if you look at the team, there is like almost like a, a higher level of effort from like you you could look at Duchesne and Duchesne has been very frustrated he is going hard to the net all the time he, it just hasn't been producing but like you look at a player like him and Grant which obviously that line has been the more productive line if you're looking at it from a stats perspective it, it just 
kills me because like that you, you can tell that there's like a, a grit level and there's a determination because they're not used to losing like this. But at the same time, nothing is clicking. Like literally nothing is clicking in the system. And that's the thing that's kind of scary is, is it the forwards having a problem with the system or is it the defensemen having more problem with the system to where they're not getting activated? Like Yossi has dried up. I, I mean like that, that this is the problem is like Yossi and Ryan Ellis are two main people that were under lobby system that were scoring tons of points, by the way, on, I, I mean, you got to admit Yossi basically carried the team on his back during his Norris trophy run. And before Ryan Ellis got injured, him and Yossi were almost level as far as points were like they were on fire and that was under lobby system. So it's like, to Matt's point, is that change in the system really kinking up everybody? Or maybe it's just the defensive side, and now we're just seeing a huge tail off because our defensemen were our offense, if that makes sense. I think it really comes back to the defensemen being the catalyst as to why the team's having to struggle. We know the offense can be there at times. The Preds can pull a win out. But I think the defenseman's mindset's got to be fixed first. Because you've got people like Ekholm, Yossi, and Ellis, like you said, Daniel, that are so used to being part of that rush to generate the offense. And now in his high system, they're simply being asked to be a puck-moving defenseman. That kind of just negates their ability. And you can kind of tell they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do with them. Dude, okay, so 2018-2019 season, Ekholm had 44 points. Last season, you know, predominantly underneath. Lobby, some of it with Heinz. And a shorter season, he had 33 points. This season, he has three points right now. Three points. At home. Well, I, I just want to, like, it, it's not, it's it's not one of those things that it's, it, the stats are backing up that the defensemen are really tailing off right now. And, and that's the sad part. And I think, you know, honestly, so we talk about how the defensemen being really the motivators and the movers as far as shots on net and scoring goals, at least it has been traditionally. Well, it's also harder to score. The farther out you go from like the the inner slot, the more low quality the chance percentage is. So if you're all of a sudden shots at the point stop going in due to traffic in front or whatever, and you can't subsidize that with higher danger, getting in closer, uh, edging out defensemen type of th- if those plays aren't there then you really have a problem and i think that kind of speaks to the stat we alluded to earlier nashville is sixth in the nhl in shot attempts but dead last in shots on goal those chances aren't getting to the net because they're not finding alternate ways to generate them so you're st- you're only getting bad looks at the blue line you're not getting anything high danger or, or aggressive looks Obviously, Ryan Ellis, just to go back to the defenseman, he's been a player that's been on the rise, too. So let's just go back to the 2017-2018 season. He played 44 games, had 32 points in 44 games. Okay, do you want to take a gander at what he was at last year? He had 49 games they played because of injury. Okay, remember he got you know, beaten up by Corey Perry in the Winter Classic. He had 38 points in 49 games. Like, he only has six points right now. And it's frustrating to see, but to to Matt's point, nothing is getting through. I feel like every time they go to take a shot, it's in someone's boot, like, and deflected into the corner. Like, the Tampa Bay game was, like, super telling, where we got destroyed. 
Tampa's a very good shot blocking team. I will give them that. But oh my, it was like every other shot was blocked. And it was driving me crazy because it's like you have to be able to to either move or drive in to get a little closer to get the angles to get the puck at least to the net to get a dirty goal or a scramble because there's players that are willing to go there. Duchesne has shown a lot of grit to go to the front of the net this year, but he's just not getting it because nothing is coming to the net. Like there's no rebound chances. I feel like there's no secondary like effort as far as that's concerned. Like it's either, Oh, I'm going to shoot it straight at the goalie. Who's not getting blocked, who immediately catches it and freezes the play. Or I'm going to take one from the point and it's going to get blocked and not even get to the net where we can do some work. We kind of mentioned, I always, I always said it's a secret weapon for the Predators. Whenever they can get a guy in there, a, a low, dirty player like uh, we've had in the past, we've always generally had one. You, you generally have to trade for one, one guy to get in there and get low down in the net. And I feel like we're going to probably be offloading some assets and that's the, probably the kind of player you need. But let me uh, riddle you this next one. So, okay, we got a problem getting quality shots on net. Well, that also doesn't solve a totally unrelated issue is that the Preds are dead last, 31st in the league on the penalty kill. About half of the goals against for the Predators have come on the power play. And that's a def- that is on the defenseman, which we led, uh, alluded to earlier. It has nothing to do with scoring. We can't even uh, keep pucks out of the back of the net. Well, one of huh, the last couple of games have been better, but... Basically, um, from a standpoint of like coaching about the penalties, I know Hines is like beat that with a dead horse because basically he was saying the team was super undisciplined for the first because we were taking a lot yeah. of penalties. And I will give that one on Hines because he did say he addressed it. And like, and there's only so many times you can beat a dead horse, you know. Uh, I mean, but also at the same time, I think that falls on the assistant coach too, like Dan Lambert who's supposed to be in charge of like either power play and or slash some of these special team stuff, boy, this is not working out, okay? Like, let me tell you, if it if Hines leaves, I guarantee you there's going to be several on the coaching staff that does go as well because I, I'm not too confident with Dan Lambert right now. I haven't seen anything, he, and he even started back with Lobby, and we were still having struggles, remember, on special teams. So it, this is not something that is foreign to the Preds, but the problem is now when you're not getting the quality shots and the offense <laughs> and you're getting bit on special teams even worse, it, it, it's it's all snowballed into like a, a culmination. But that, I feel like, does go back to some of the, the coaching staff as well, too. Also, you know, related to the coaching staff, let's talk about these roster decisions. I'm going to go ahead and read you oh, a... Uh, <laughs> A tweet from Michael Gallagher talking about my boy Tolvanen. Benching Tolvanen, a forward who positions himself well in the offensive zone, has got some good looks on the power play and was one of three Preds forwards with multiple shots last night. So then the Preds... He got reassigned to the taxi squad the next day. Yeah, I know where you're play, going with so this. They, Get they ready. play Sean Malone. Yeah. He said that's a bad look for the team that has scored only the fifth fewest goals in the NHL. So you're taking a guy who has proved himself, come out and got a goal got some good looks, and then you're replacing him with check the roster for a guy's name yeah, I've never Malone, heard of. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I was I was livid that night. And guess what? I got more follow-up because I got screenshots of more tweets. So Hines had a presser after that game, and he was specifically asked, and this is yeah. what got me going. This is really what rubbed me the wrong, wrong way. He basically said healthy scratches 
were more about giving guys an opportunity to play. Felt the team was more competitive tonight. Then he goes on to say, Tovenin has played well, but wants him to wants to manage a young player and keep his health basically in the forefront. And I'm like, hold on. Hold on. First of all, he hasn't been playing every single night like everybody else. So he's already fresher. Like, he played, okay, and there's more stats too. He played 68 games in the KHL, and he also simultaneously played in the NHL, World Juniors, and the Olympics as an 18-year-old in 2017. Yeah. And you're telling me you're going to try to manage him, and he's younger? Like, and then, back to Matt's point, the statement literally from our general manager was, we want a youth movement. And you don't have people like Pitlick, or Pitlick still in the, the, the AHL with Tomasino, who they were killing it. By the way, it was like game two or something, and Tomasino had five points, Pitlick had five points. Yeah, I think this is the part that makes me the most frustrated is it's not congruent. It's all, it has a very soft answer that didn't tell me anything. It didn't go towards the movement they're trying to do. And it's kind of like, okay, if you put out, all right, we're relying on Forsberg to go out there and score some goals. So if he shows up cold one day, all right, that, you know, that kind of stinks. That's kind of out of your control. But something you can do is put your guy on the ice. You know, he has scored a goal. He at least has more name recognition than this other guy. And you're speaking towards this movement, getting him some time. And then instead, you go off and, and put in this Sean Malone guy. That just doesn't, that's, uh, yeah. that frustrates me to no end because we've been, I've been preaching Tolvanen for, you know, two years now. A player can't develop too unless he's like put him in. Yeah. And he's a power play specialist too, like, or someone who can bolster your power play. And he just played the, really well the night before that's the thing that like are you not rewarding the players that are actually playing well yeah i think it was yeah the next day he they sat him down after he scored a goal yeah he and went I'm right like, back to the, what the, more yeah. could you ask him to do he literally scored a goal for you like <laughs> yeah i, I, I don't know that's what's frustrating and that's the thing is like is that coming from heinz is that coming from gmdp Who's making the taxi? Dis- uh, who's making the taxi? Like that's yeah. my thing. That's my like. I think GMDP probably is more involved with who's getting called up from the AHL. Maybe I once again, your speculation, but it, it's hard to s- stomach Tomasino and Pitlick too down there when you have other players that aren't even. I, oh, don't even get me started on Carrier not being played for Tenority. How you want to take that one, Kyle, for a second? I've got really nothing to say on that outside the fact that I don't understand why you played Tenorti. To me, Tenorti reminds me of that guy, uh, Emelin, who used to play on our team. Oh, gosh. That the is like traffic sniper. cone. The, the sniper. Stri- the sniper, as Chris Mason said. <laughs> and I don't get it. It's like you have Carrier, who has been proving himself time and time again in the AHL, and he's sitting in our taxi squad, and he just literally is not. Put this guy on the third line, and like Tolvanen, let the dude play. Let him develop. You can't ask for anything else. But what I don't understand is, Daniel, you were talking about the youth movement that GMDP likes to preach. Well, apparently, the ownership group still has faith in GMDP. Like, they, from what um, Adam Vingan's article in The Athletic said the other day, they basically have faith in him, and they've got no plans to remove him. And I'm like, okay, so what happens if we crash and burn and don't make the playoffs? We come almost dead last in the league, possibly? What's it going to take? Like, I respect... GMDP for the career he's had, the tenure he's had. He's been a great GM. He's netted his players like Forsberg. He's got some magic, but how far does that magic go before the magic's done? If I'm pointing the blame at anybody, I'm not putting it on him. I think he's done a, in a, at least an above average job on his uh, on his trades. 
the mm. first fingers I'm pointing is coaches and uh, and players and roster decisions. I think you're fine in the front office. He's at least better than the average uh, GM in oh, the league. By the way, the Predators have five players currently in the AHL playing for the Wolves that are in the top 20 in points in the AHL. Five of the top 20 are, are owned impressive. by the Preds. And I just want to point that out. And you know where they're going to do? They're going to, you know, squander that talent again, most likely. Well, oh, okay. And now to not leave every stone unturned. And I I know like you've been fairly, you know, okay with a lot of the trades that GMDP has made, but I have to kind of pull back and like, I'm sitting there looking at the Avs game the other night and I I see a young Sammy Gerrard score point. And I was like, hmm. This started my mind thinking about certain things, like where what could have been. Okay, so Johansson has literally been producing hardly anything right now. This these last two seasons have been really bad for him. He even said last year that was his worst season. He needs to step it up. Well, he's injured this year, and it's not going. No it bigger. wasn't. It wasn't going so hot even before he left. Yeah. You know, so it's it's one of those things. So we traded Seth Jones, who is an absolute monster right now on defense. Okay, like probably would want that one back. Oh, so wait, we traded Samuel Gerrard in a trade basically to free up stuff to get Kyle Turris, who is not on our team anymore. And by the way, we're also still retaining, we're paying $4 million of his cap. Yeah, that's not a good look. And, you know, we always used to say, oh, who won the trade, Subban or Weber? I think Subban had the first year maybe. And then after after that, it looks like Weber. I feel like Subban was needed for for that cup run like he he came down and, you remember the stats too him against Sidney Car- like he did a very good job yeah. defensively for what it was yeah, but now one year and honestly that was probably one of the better thing because he actually got traded as he's been tailing off so I will actually give that one towards GMDP but it's certain things like that that's like very frustrating because it's like if you don't make that one move it like I understand like he loves to tinker stuff but that was like over tinkering like we could have probably still had Seth Jones and Samuel Gerard, could you imagine, like, first of all, <laughs> the defensive line that we would have? You'd have Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm, Samuel Gerard, yeah. Seth Jones. I know you can't keep all those. And, and, and then eventually you're going to get rid of one of them. But you're it, like, it's so frustrating because you're like, we still have that retention of $4 million on You didn't tourists. know Turris was going to kind of be a dud after he came here. You didn't know Granlin was going to be... Okay, you know, you didn't know Johansson was going to get hurt half the time. I'm not so mad about uh, at Granlin just because we keep doing like short term contracts. You know, like your favorite <laughs> GM GM Matt over here loves those short term like show me, which that's been Granlin almost since we've got him. Uh, Fiala, it was like he traded it, <laughs> he traded him for Fiala, and then Fiala got hot. Obviously, Fiala is very streaky. We all know this, but it, was it any better than Granlin? Probably not. Like and he was already used to our system but then that system got thrown out because it's like it it feels like everything has been in a blender but it's one of those things like there looking back there are certain things that it's it's difficult it's only two million a year by the way for tourists only two million but i would like that two million by the way two million through the 20 2026 2027 season oh that that hurts you're over there talking about granlin so let's take a look at his possible trade bait for him. So he's one of the players that could possibly be traded if this team doesn't pick it back up. One win 
is not going to like you know erase the just total disaster team has been. But if we keep sinking in the standings and we just don't get no offensive power, and if nothing writes itself, this team's going to become a seller. And so you take that and you look at the players we've got right now, and you wonder who are we going to sell because. The league this year is not really looking at cash as an option because the cap stayed the same. It stayed at $81.5 million for this season. The Preds are at $78.4 million and they've got $3 million in cap. And so when you think about, we got players we need to trade, the first people you're going to look at is honestly Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. But they are both sitting on $8 million deals. And with the way the league has been this season, there's no one who's going to take those deals. Yeah, this, yeah. this year is a very hard year to deal off a major contract i mean didn't even james neal get put on waivers a couple weeks ago too yeah he's a huge salary as well yeah and it's gonna be one of those like neal's gonna get picked up in the offseason like he will like no no doubt but it's one of those that it's gonna need to get through there they're gonna need to get rid of some extra baggage and then that cap's gonna have to get bumped up before teams can start making moves but that's unfortunate on a year like this when you're thinking about trying to offload somebody Uh, i mean it's crazy because Johansson has been a five-time 60-point scorer. Duchesne's a three-time 60-point scorer. Yeah. Forsberg's a two-time 30-goal scorer. Arvidsson's a two-time 30-goal scorer. And Granlin is a two-time 65-point yeah. scorer. It used to be, though. I know, and th- but that's the problem. Is like You're looking at huge underperforming people. Hala was actually a 55-point scorer, and Yossi's a five-time, five-time 50-point scorer. So even from that list, if you're looking at it, like I'm looking at maybe Hala or Granlin, the, those are probably the ones that people might have enough space to go ahead and grab for a run. And then maybe we can get some return back as far as the forwards are concerned. But I, I think that the trouble here, you're at, a, at quite a crossroads. What do you do here? Do you sell? Do you buy? Do you stay in the middle? And it's, it's this moment where you're thinking of, are you going to offload Granlin? Is Ekholm possibly going to be in the works? So, okay, so you're looking at, say you offload a big player. Well, what do you want back? Do you want back a now asset or do you want back a futures picks? You really have to start making some decisions what you're going to work towards eventually. And you really have to be uh, on the same page, the coaching staff, the front office. You guys are going to have to start making some, some tough decisions exactly where you think you're going to be. Are you committed just saying, yep, we're going to scrap it. We're going to start selling. We're going to offload and buy futures. Or are you going to kind of stay in the middle and just do a, a one-for-one now trade? Where do you go? If you're all about preaching a youth movement and you're serious about a youth movement, you trade the players off and you pick up draft picks, prospects, futures. Make this team young so you can build them up, make them the right way. They're saying, I believe next year's draft is going to be loaded too. So like, it's one of those you have to stick with a plan. Like, I, I, I think we've hit on this multiple times this episode. It's like, everything seems to be like, who's doing this? Or who's in control of this? Or who's like, well, like, yeah, what are we doing? Are we sticking with the youth movement that GMDP basically said at the beginning? I mean, that like after last season, he was like, this is the vision. Let's go for it. And if that's the case, then you need to be sellers this year and get those future assets as much as you can. And Ekholm would, unfortunately, be probably one of the better ones out there because 
in two years, basically not after this season, but next year his contract would expire. So it would be very difficult for the Preds to keep another another defenseman. So if you're going to offload him, it needs to be this year or next year. And somebody else mentioned in an article that out of all the defensemen that have been leaving lately, it, it's defensemen that have had a year and a half left on their deal. Somebody draws, oh, here it is. It was Jake Muzzin and Alec Martinez who uh, got dealt and they were very similar contract yeah. situations. So uh, it's interesting to note. Yeah, It'll be it, interesting to see what Ekholm would pick up because Muzzin's got a first round draft pick and a prospect and Martinez got um, two second round picks. So you're thinking... Those are some pretty decent uh, hauls for those defensemen. So with Ekholm, I'm thinking at least a first I'm or maybe a, first a second. And second, because the, the advanced metrics on Ekholm, like the stats community, you know, when we had rumors, they were like, uh, teams need to be looking because his overall stats, very high. He is a solid defenseman, great puck mover, and can generate some, some points while you're at it. So he needs to be at least a one and a two, in my opinion. Uh, I, 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 and especially, too, at $3.75 million right now, psh, that's a bargain right now. Yeah. Like, that's that's a... I know, like, you're going to have to re-sign him eventually. And the Preds, also, are you going to be able to, you know, get him for a decent deal? Maybe not. And if you're looking at where you're sitting at in the standings right now, boy, I'm definitely trying to offload Granlin and possibly Ekholm. Like, I would prefer to offload Ford's in my opinion, because we have more forwards in our base that we can pull from, aka Tomasino, Pitlick. You're, I, I would prefer to do that rather than to give up Ekholm, if, that's, if that is the case. But once again, can we get rid of a Hala or a Granlin? Uh, I mean, that, that's up in the air, but Hala's only at a 1.75 million. Somebody would probably love to pick him up for a cup run. He's on a one-year contract. Granlin's also on a one-year contract at actually... Fairly good, uh, 3.75 million. Cause I remember we got that deal because he couldn't find anybody who would pick him up in the off season. So a team may be looking for a spark. And don't forget, you got Nick Cousins at 1.5. You've got Rocco and Cal Yarncroke both at 2 million. Yeah. See, and that, these are the ones that I'm looking at, like anywhere from like basically Sissons down. These are the, the ranges that people are going to be more apt to buy. Like, they're not going to go for a Matt Duchesne this year. They're not going to go for a Ryan Johansson salary because of the cap space, like you mentioned. You're looking at basically maybe four max. So, Granlin might be pushing some budgets and they might have to do some, you know, creative <laughs> cap space accounting there to make it work. But you're looking at Granlin being on the high end and then, you know, obviously going all the way down to. Nick Cousins, where we have a ton of, I mean, it, it's going to be sad because you're going to see somebody go that you're probably not going to want to let go. But at the same time, I, right. th- I think I would let go forwards ahead of a defenseman. But I think the defenseman's probably going to get us more of a return. So it's kind of like, ooh. It's going to be a little painful either way, but that's what it takes. When you got a boo-boo, you got to uh, get up and uh, wipe yourself off and, and move forward. And it's going to hurt one way or the other, but you got to rip the Band-Aid off, got to do what it takes. And uh, just as long, I don't mind moving a top dollar guy as long as I don't see any more of that salary retention nonsense. That's a that's a dead asset. That's a horrible financial decision from uh, my standpoint. Oh, yeah, the, the tourist thing hurt me. And, you know, honestly, I'm okay with going the all-out seller route and going for the youth movement. But if we're going to say that, I want to be committed to the system and I want to see some commitment on the coach's side of things. I want to see Tolvanen on the ice. I want to see Pitlick. I want to see these young guys uh, on the ice, as we're saying we're doing. So I'm okay with that. 
Uh, I just want to see commitment one way or the other. I don't like this jumping back and forth over the fence, riding the fence. I will say for those who are wondering if we could actually call up Tomasino to the Preds, uh, unfortunately we cannot. He has to go back to junior leagues once their season starts back up. And if he gets called up, he has to stay on the active roster. That, uh, so uh, he a, can get called up, but he has to stay on it. That, I, think that I remember a, that because that was a caveat. Because uh, There's so many weird it rules this year. was a special contract situation with him. With yeah. the collective bargaining and the AHL. It's been really weird this year. Well, because technically he's what? he He's below age because like his junior team. It's yeah. funny. He's so young. This is just like, you know, like he kind of skipped a few steps there. He went straight to Canada and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, try to help them. So it's like, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that if they want to make some moves though on the roster, like Matt was saying, like stick with it, like deal some people and then pull them up. And then, you know, he's going to have a spot every night. You know what I mean? Like he's 18. <laughs> like if you're wanting to start the youth movement, you need to start adding in and injecting in those people, especially Tolvanen, who's proven he can do it. And then Pitlick who has been rocking it out. Like I, I don't know. Those are two frustrating ones for me, especially when you can pull them up immediately and then immediately put them back regardless. Like, why is Pitlick not getting called on? Once again, it's like... It, it, the, the funny part was going out and making all these acquisitions in the off-seasons like Cousins and Hala, and like, we we talked about the youth movement and then we got veteran players for all like one-year contracts. And it's like, why? Like, it just, I might have a thought just, just now. Just, just be terrible. Like, like, like Matt said, if you want to rebuild, rebuild. Steve Eisman understands this. He knows they're going to be terrible. The wings were already bad. Let's just pull the Band-Aid off. We're, we're just doing it. I think, you know, you're also seeing maybe they didn't anticipate being this bad. So, you know, even last year, they're making some kind of middle ground moves. I know we might not make a cup run, but we're probably going to make a playoffs type situation. So they, they weren't offloading assets. So they didn't anticipate this. So the moves they were making the last two or three years aren't congruent with the moves all of a sudden that they've decided they need to make. So anytime you're doing these drastic uh, dynamic shifts in the front office, as far as decisions of where you're taking the franchise, it takes a few years to make everything line up perfectly. Just maybe GMGP looked into his crystal ball and saw that this was coming. And so he started grabbing all these small contract players to know that we were going to do bad and then just said, you know what, I'm going to take the season and just send them all off and get these draft picks in. Maybe he's, maybe he's playing the long that would game be, with us. That would be hilarious. I mean, like, if he dealt, like, two or three people, then I would be honestly ecstatic. Like, if he started dealing all these one-year contracts and they're all forwards, I'm going to be like, ah, you sly dog. Like, you knew what you were doing after all. You know, like, well, I never should have doubted you. But it's one of those things, like, obviously he knows that he messed up on some trades, like, with the Taurus one. Like, there's just ones that... Or have been bad, um, but that said, it's like I, I don't know that we're we're on the crossroads here, and it's like you need to like we need to start making some decisions very quick because the the trade deadline is going to come up way quicker this year with the compressed I, schedule. So I think might want to go around the room and get opinions on it. What's the first move you're making? Is it roster? Are you are you trading players or are you are you canning the coach? I think a can oh. the coach is the first move I'd make. See, and this is I know another there hasn't topic. Been much we, time, we, we have we haven't got on this one yet. So first of all, let's rewind the slate back. Uh, this is going to be like a crazy rant episode, but when Lavi is fired, obviously, and we see this a lot on NHL teams, like you, I mean, you might be doing really well. Like, you know, like teams been making the playoffs and stuff. 
but you have like a down year or something or the team's not as motivated as, as it was, you get fired. It happens all the time in hockey. All the time. Like you still might be a playoff team, like making the playoffs, and you might still get let go. Lavi was let go. At the time, though, not very many options out there. And I remember us going through this, like, you know, trying to, the, it was the carousel of trying to see who we could possibly get. And we ended up with Heinz, which, let's be honest, probably not my first. It was, he wasn't I, even really I on my like radar. He was snagged up because it was the easy, fast, you know, it's kind of like the fast food. He was I'm available. Gonna go pick one up quick. Yeah. yeah, he was available. It might take more time to land a bigger name. Well, guess, guess who's sitting on the sidelines right now? Gallant. Yep. Yeah. Shocker. Why? Shocker. Was, oh, that's my first guy. So, d- wait, did he go to the, the Stanley Cup finals <laughs> with a brand new team? With a brand new team. With a brand new team. Wow. I think I want that guy. You know what? I looked up his coaching resume. Do you know what? His win percentage is above 500. Check. Yeah. With, like, a bunch of, with a bunch of castaways. <laughs> with, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, uh, that's the, that is the difficult thing is like, I understand they wanted to make the move like mid-season to try to energize the team, but then they made the move. They only had really one choice. They made that choice, and yeah. it still didn't work out. And then it's like, oof, like, it, it where, was, where like are we at now? It's like an emergency. Uh, you didn't get what you wanted in return because your your hands were kind of strapped. And uh, I just saw Mac Babcock actually just got a job back in Saskatoon. I don't know if it's for like a AHL, OHL team. I don't know how it works up there, but it was not. It's, so he's doing something else currently. So he's not well, available. Well, they wouldn't have. Not that got, they would have yeah, picked him. Yeah. But I, I like Babcock, you know, as former Red Wing guy. But here's, here's something I always boil down to. The Flyers have three head coaches on their bench. <laughs> yes. So there is no reason that the Predators should have this random guy, uh, John Hines. You, you got three head coaches on one bench, you can find room for Jerry Gallant or somebody else. Well, even like, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, how are we, like our special teams coaches right now, how do they still have a job? Like, I, I, I do not know. Like, and we've had a long line of just terrible special teams. And it's always plagued us the last like two to three seasons. It, it really has. And that said, it's like, I, I don't know at this point, like as far as making the decision and pulling the plug on some of these other coaches, I would have already done it before then. I would have had, you know, Glant, at least on the bench for this year, he's literally sitting doing nothing. Like you could have pulled him and l- at least had him as an assistant coach or something yeah. or as a, a power play, you know, like a specialist coach. Just pull him in to do something. I, I, I don't know. That one bewilders me. And I've heard there are some talks and, you know, about, because uh, some people don't like the Hind system, which I'm not a fan of. I'm just going to raise my hand. and I think the, the majority of the Preds fans, and us included, are not fans of the Hind system. Well, here's the deal. Like, the Hind system was already not looking good, and then, like, when he started making up, or not even really making up, just b- basically just saying these things, that, like, especially with the Tolvanen thing, that really, yeah, that like, that, that turned off a lot of people. There was a lot of people in the media, too, that was like, wait, hold on, like, that was not a good, like, not even close to a good answer. Like, like that's not how I would answer. Like, you can be vague, and then that was just a bad answer. Like, well, I know some of the media has complained that he's been also been very deflective of their questions too, especially when yes. they're asking him, you know, point blank hard questions, and he's just kind of like, "Yeah, I hear you, but I'm going to ignore you, and we're going to talk about something else." Yeah, that's uh, that yeah. sends kind of red flags, you know. Well, I you well you'd ex. <laughs> You would think that he would be good at fielding bad questions, considering he came from Jersey and they yeah. were dumpster fire during that time. But I don't know. And maybe it's just because, like, 
our media got used to us winning and now that we're bad, like they're just actually asking some relevant questions. And they're not like super like hard questions. They're, they're relevant questions, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, why did you make that roster decision? Doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then you come up with some dumb answer, you know, to give me like, I, I don't know. So it's one of those things like, does GMDP, like how short is the leash for Heinz? That's my thing is like, they got him mid last season. Well, now he had the whole off season, which was short, whatever. And then camp and then is doing like, like, I don't know like what GMDP is thinking. Like, it, does he wait out this entire year and see? I'd, I'd consider like, this oh, like man. a trial period. Like it's, it's okay if you've got a great name uh, coming in like Coach Q and it takes a, okay, a little while to retool, retool but you, you're still in this trial period with, with Coach Hines. And I'd say I'm not like what I'm seeing, so I might as well go ahead and uh, pull the cord on this and uh, start. If we do it now, we can at least start and have a half a season with a new guy as opposed to waiting until next year and a half and doing it. You're, you're wasting time sitting in no man's land. You've got to be committed. That, that's what I think. Yeah, I, I just don't see him pulling it in the middle of the year this year, honestly. I, I think they're already bad, and then he's just going to be like, okay, well, I'll give him the chance through – then a year maybe to like but, turn something around, but I, I I could see him making a move on the off season honestly. But honestly. at that point, is is those good coaches gone? Like that's the thing. Like is Glant somewhere else? Who knows? But final thoughts. So Matt, you said you would replace who? Yeah, I'd, I'd replace uh, replace Coach Hines. It would be the first thing I'd do. It probably won't happen. Uh, I if if I'm the GM, I think that looks like I'm wishy washy, and I haven't really flushed out the situation, gave it a chance to succeed. But as a viewer, I can already tell that's probably the decision that needs to be made, even if even if that looks a little funny. So that's what I'd like to see. Not that I think it will. What about you, Dan? Uh, I mean, I'm leaning towards. The coach as well. Uh, I'm maybe not just Hines. I'm I'm also targeting specific special teams coaches. Like we, <laughs> someone's got to be out there, Kyle. Like someone. Like we keep going through these coaches. Like every other day, I feel I, like I tell you who's available right now. Right now, Matt Bain is. Call him up. Baby. Call him up. But that said, it's one of those frustrating things. Like I, I'm maybe not just doing Hines. I would be. I would be more apt to do. Special teams first, and then if that still doesn't get anything going, then Hines will probably be shortly after. I think that would probably think actually a be good compromise. that would be the probably the route that I think GMDP yeah. will probably take I first. Agree. I agree. That's not maybe my personal route. Now this year, if I'm in the driver's seat, I think personally I would just start offloading a lot of these short-term contracts that are like cheaper to get those assets for the next couple of years. That that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at Granlin gone, get shop cunning and Holla. Nick Cousins actually has looked really good. Honestly, I've I've actually liked him for you know smaller sample size. But uh, uh, you shop who you got to at this point, and you get those assets for like I would almost do a combination. I would go ahead and start with the special teams coaches, and then also get rid of a little you know those nice two to three million dollar range contracts that people can pick up this year. And then if it's really bad and like once again, like future on like next season, if it's still bad, then I'm looking at dumping one of the major contracts like Duchesne or Johansson on a year that teams can take it. And for myself, I'm going to say GMTP will probably end up letting Heinz go first and foremost. Ooh. And along with a maybe a special teams coach or two. I still think he will end up trading players off this season because 
I honestly don't think we have a snowball's chance of making the playoffs. Mm-mm. We've already wasted too much of the season. The offense isn't there. So that's what I think. Well, guys, that was a bit of a rant. So uh, as we close up the episode, let's uh, switch gears slightly. Have you recently seen, I, uh, in the last day or two, this has been going wild on Twitter and all the commentators have been kind of weighing in on this idea that Sidney Crosby is top five all time. You guys uh, care to weigh in on that any before I say some stats about it. Top five, what, like top five player? Top Just- five players of all time. If we're comparing Ooh, him to it's my... Because, uh, it's because he hit his thousandth game uh, a day or two ago, and that's why it's being brought up. If you're comparing him to my boy Ovechkin? No. You know, honestly, uh, nobody's mentioned Ovechkin. That's funny to me, because, like, bro. I, yeah. So, <laughs> all right, yeah. All right, just to let the cat out of the bag, no, I do not think Crosby's top five all time. I don't even think he's the best of his generation. Ovechkin has more points than Crosby, and he was drafted, like, a year or two apart. I forget exactly, but Ovechkin, in my mind, yeah, he might be a one-trick pony, but he's got more points than Crosby does, so I don't even want to hear about Crosby being top five if you're not even going to mention Ovechkin. Also, and then, Malkin. He played with Malkin, yeah, yeah. who's and incredible. And I think Malkin is probably it's, the best player on the team, if you ask me. I think Malkin, half the time, is better than Crosby. Not that Crosby's bad, but uh, <laughs> you know, to throw him up there and give him such a fanboy to call him top five all time, when half the commentators think that Gordy Howe is like a fringe top five, six, or seven. I'm like, all right, first of all, Crosby doesn't even come close to Gordy Howe. So if you if you don't even think that, then if Gordy Howe doesn't make the top five, then Crosby doesn't make the top five. So what was like, just for example, what are some of the top fives that people are saying? So it's like, what? Gretzky, it's, it's, Bobby it's Orr, Gretzky or Lemieux, Lemieux. And then you can piece in a couple pieces oh of your gosh, flavor. Lemieux, uh, so Lidstrom's good, being thrown in at five or six. Uh, Lemieux, like, played way less games and scored a ton of points. Like, I'm sorry, like, had he played more games, like, he's way up on that list. So, like, he was killer. I've got a couple stats I'll end the show with, as usual, some milestones, and these tend to revolve around kind of the all-time discussions, just so happens this week. So, um, this week, McDavid reached 20 points uh, in the season in exactly 11 games, which is what he did last year. It took him 11 games to get 20 points. And uh, that's pretty good considering that there's only two Oilers players that have ever reached 20 points in less games who are Gretzky and Curry, you know, two of the best of all time. But that doesn't seem so great when you're comparing it to Gretzky. Not only did it in less than 11 games, but he did it five years in a row. And it's also an interesting name. We kind of compare how good how good is McDavid compared to Gretzky. I, I know he's young, but you're looking at these records, and it's pretty interesting. So I thought I'd throw that out there. How good McDavid is, he only did it two years in a row, and Gretzky did it five times in less games. I mean, like, we're looking at some of these other names, too. Like, I don't know. Lemieux has to be way up there. You got some really good players, too. I I, I don't think he's top five. Uh, top 10 may like for sure like I, I could put him in the top 10 but I, I personally i think crosby's top 30 and that's as that's as far as i'm willing to concede at the moment so <laughs> not even top 10 n- no probably Boy, not there's gonna be some I'd, I'd pittsburgh like to, fans out there yeah i'd like picketing. to get out the uh you know a roster sheet of the top 100 players of all time and, and do some ranking because because oh some of gosh. them you know I, i'm not thinking off the top of my head i don't have the stats in front of me but just uh, you know from my mind what i'm thinking so anyway i think last uh week we mentioned Marchand, and I'll mention him again. He now has his 16th regular season overtime goal. That is fifth all-time for my boy, Ratman Marchand. 
Uh, he interestingly trails Ovechkin and Crosby in in overtime goals. But you know who has more? Ovechkin has more than Crosby, twenty four to eighteen. So that again kind Ovi's of alludes one, to me yeah. that Ovi is better than Crosby. And and this next one is is kind of similar. It's not totally unrelated, but Crosby is now tied for the third most regular season uh, points in overtime, all time with thirty five. But he still trails Ovechkin with thirty seven. So I know that's a related stat, but not only does Ovechkin have more points, he also has more goals in overtime. And uh, just recently this week, Ovechkin now passed another one off his list. Another, you know, top 10 player of all time, Phil Esposito, passes him for sixth all time in points with 779. And uh, I'll leave you with one more. It is that McDavid tied Sidney Crosby uh, it took him exactly 369 games to start his career to hit 500 points. Both Crosby and McDavid took them exactly 369 games. So that kind of leads me to believe, you know, McDavid is on Crosby's uh, same pace as far as the caliber player, which we all know, the same caliber player we're, see- we're seeing. I think most people would agree McDavid is the best since Sidney Crosby. But what's interesting when you're comparing players all time, we're talking about Crosby. So everybody says Gretzky is number one. So if you think Crosby is number five, let me just give you some comparison between the number one and number five spot. So it took Crosby 369 games to get that mark. It took Gretzky 234 games, which is 37% less games to get to that mark. There is a huge disparity between Gretzky and Crosby. And so that to me just reiterates the point that I don't not only do I think Crosby's not top five I don't he's not even better than Ovechkin and to me half the time he's not even better than Malkin so see and that's where that argument comes through or well the competition wasn't as stiff and like Wayne Gretzky's yet and I understand that but also like there's a significant difference in the stats between you know oh oh Gretzky and Crosby you know it's obviously evident that he's not I I don't know Top five, that's that's rough. Is, uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I can't put him in the top five, that's for sure. This is one of those areas that I wish we were a little bit older so we could enjoy some of the older names on the list that Dude, we didn't you got get Yager to see. on that list too. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, he's not top five. No. You got Le- no. Lemieux. No. He he's uh, not. I'm sorry. And then Ovi is you said he just passed, right, Phil yeah. for points. Well, he's only five goals behind him yeah. as well. And that's, uh, what, sixth all-time? Sixth all-time. More than likely, he's going to pass him this season for sixth all-time. If you got if you got Ovechkin in the he's top a, six He's like time, 19 away from... You've got no room for Crosby. Marcel, yeah. I think 20... Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, we're getting close to Brent Hull range for yeah. Ovi. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's some legendary uh, stats right there. So I feel like, uh, you know, Kyle, sometimes... We, Ovechkin's had so many, so many stats. That he's crossing too many big names off the milestone list. And I'm starting to get a little jealous. I don't like to see my Gordy Howes disappear off the all-time list. But here is one day that, if it, we're talking about Ovechkin versus Crosby, I'm going to be stroking off Ovechkin all night, baby. Well, I'm glad to have you in the Ovechkin fan club for a little bit. That's right. Well, Daniel, what games we got coming up? So for the Predators, honestly, I was <laughs> looking at the schedule today, and this is make or break. Honestly, this next schedule, because we have basically the easiest little portion of our schedule coming up, and we got to win all these to just get back, just to get a glimmer of hope, honestly. And that's the sad part, is the next game is against Detroit. Uh, we basically have two more games against Detroit. Yeah, Matt's over here pumping his fist. Point three, uh, 
Uh, we went, uh, you guys are uh, one and two, one and two, or how do you say, uh, you've won one and lost one against Detroit so far. There were 50, which... Yeah. It's nice to see them in the division. This is the first time since yeah. you know, a long time ago. So, so we have those back-to-backs with Detroit, and then we have two more with Columbus. So like I said, the next four, you <laughs> you really got to win those to, to even stay relevant in the season. If you lose any of those, well, guess what's coming up the week after? Carolina, Florida, Florida, Carolina, Carolina... Tampa, Tampa, Florida, Florida. By the way, that's the next stretch after this. <laughs> I just just let that soak in for a second. Carolina, Florida, Florida, Carolina, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Florida, Florida, before we get Detroit again. So, yeah, you need four wins coming up. I'm just going to put it like that. I've got a feeling by the time we record next, we might be looking at a very different team or even a different coach. <laughs> Dude, uh, I'm just going to say... Like we get through this week and then after that it goes way downhill for March. March is going to be a brutal stretch. Okay. So just buckle up Preds fans because it's going to be a long month. And guys, that's going to wrap the show up for today. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to find more of our episodes, you can look us up on iTunes at Music City Gold or on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Until next time, we will see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.